Shigori Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai Shri Varadamadar ki jai Kiraj Govardhan Maharaj ki jai Gaur Nityananda ki jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai Gaur Premanandi So, nice to be with you all again and this is the at least by the calculation of the uh, full moon to full moon this is the last day of the month of of Kartik, which is a special month for the uh, Vaishnavas and particularly for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, our particular uh, sect within uh, the worshippers of Vishnu, the Vaishnavas. And um, during this month, as you know, we uh, sing the Dhammadar Astakam. Astakam means eight, so it's eight prayers. And um, they were written a long, long time ago by a rishi named Satyavrata, and they've been recorded in the Purana, Padma Purana. And in our uh, text, uh, composed uh, and compiled, uh, drawing from other texts of Sanatana Goswami's called Hari Bhakti Vilasa, which is the Vaishnava Shmriti, or the kind of book that speaks about the decorum for those who are Gaudiya Vaishnavas, what their mantras will be, what their procedures in life will be. Um, um, and so forth, uh, there is a chapter called uh, Kartik Mahatmya. Mahatma means like glorification, so glorification of Kartik, which is another name for the month of Damodar. It's complicated, but um, we've been going through this uh, eight uh, stanzas, and um, as I say, it's recommended, and uh, we're on the last stanza on the last day here. Yeah, but not yet. (laughs) One more, one more. Uh, Today's stanza is a little brief in its uh, content, um, so I'll speak briefly on it, and then hopefully we'll have time for some questions or discussion, so forth. But uh, here the the Rishi, he he concludes his prayer with some summary and some um, further development as well. As we know, this is a prayer in which the Rishi is meditating on a particular lila of Krishna, the divine play of the Absolute, which is so um, characteristic, I want to say, of the of the deity Krishna, who is really all all playful. And as I've said before, amongst the within the pantheon of the gods and goddesses of Hinduism. Every man and woman there has got some weapon, some carrier, something to do, something to accomplish. Krishna, in his pastoral um, setting, on the other hand, has no carrier. Indeed, he's more likely to be carrying one of his friends when losing to him in a wrestling match as the price to pay for such. Um, This is a very peculiar notion of God, but the notion is that uh, manifestation of the God that is all playful, that has nothing, absolutely nothing to accomplish, not even to, uh, to, to establish uh, spiritual principles in the world, or he's just beyond that, only playful. He has no weapon, he bears instead the flute. It's kind of a secret weapon. Uh, he's a bit of a pied piper, if you will, but... Uh, but only playing, 
And the, as I've said other times, the implication, of course, is that one who only plays is the one who is all-powerful because it requires some power in order to play, some time off from work, some money in the bank, um, some uh, some power to play. So uh, this is the implication, if you will. Uh, from it we can derive the notion within Hinduism that, that Krishna is the fullest manifestation of divinity. And, of course, in the context of his play, what is... What is um, Driving that play is the is the interaction with his devotees that we call bhakti, hmm? and that is constituted that bhakti of, of his own inner power, if you will. Hmm? He's possessed of innumerable powers, it's often uh, spoken about as in terms of three principal powers: an external power hmm? uh, that has a diluting um, influence an internal power that has an illuminating influence and that drives his own world. The external power, in many respects, drives the outer world, if you will. And then in between these two, there's an there's a, there's a intermediate kind of potency. And we are constituted of that. I've given an example before of a fire. Hmm. A fire has itself. It has its heat and its light. It has sparks and it also generates smoke. And so in this uh, example, then the smoke is is matter and it's kind of influence over ourselves who are the sparks that can get covered by the smoke, although not, not going out disconnected from the fire by the smoke, by an, uh, it's an apparent uh, disconnection. Hmm. And while the spark is 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 like the fire it's different too because you can't cook with a spark alone or heat your house on a cold night like last night with a spark alone where with a fire of course you can so we have the smoke the influence of 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 material nature if we identify with it we become deluded by it if we if we turn on the television it may take over our life something like that i've given that example before we have the smoke, we have the spark, that's us, this intermediate potency. We can live in the smoke or we can live in the fire. Hmm? But we are more like the fire than the smoke, so we'll flourish therein. And the fire has heat and light, which is one with the fire, but different from the fire. As sparks are one with the fire and different from the fire. As smoke is also one with the fire and different from it. It has no separate existence. You cannot get smoke without a fire. So in that sense, smoke is one with the fire, even though it's has an opposite effect, if you will, practically, hmm? of obscuring rather than illuminating. Hmm? So um, it's one with the fire, but, different, but it's more different than it is one. And then you have the sparks, right? They're kind of in between. They're like the fire, but they can also drift off and being significant in terms of the light that they offer, um, drifting as they might within the smoke. They don't have enough illumination to dispel the smoke, the darkness of it, to, uh, to, to shed light on, on, on what's going on, hmm? on the connection with the, with the sun, the, excuse me, with the fire that the, both the smoke and the, and the sparks have. Hmm? So this external potency, the maya, the the, the 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 kind of intermediate potency 
the spark ourselves. And then there's the heat and light of the fire. So heat and light of the fire, it's so much like the fire, it's kind of hard to talk about it as, as being different as you can the spark and the smoke. It's more easy to think of them as little one but different. Hmm? So the heat and light is different but one with, but more like than, than not. And heat and light means that this fire has a power hmm, to illuminate, uh, means to, to, to give knowledge, and, 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 and heat means feeling love. So this heat and light is, is, the, is the internal power of Krishna, by which the, spark, the smoke can be dispelled, for example, very easily. Hmm? By which the spark can uh, it can identify. Oh, I belong in the fire. That's where I, I will thrive, for example, and in a sense, which makes the fire the fire thrive. It makes the world of the fire go round and, and be what it is, so to speak. Hmm? So we have the Godhead, the fire. We have bhakti, which is the heat and light. We have the sparks that are ourselves, and the smoke that is the diluting. Influence. It's all one package. It's all reality, hmm? and um, and so what um, uh, the Krishna deity, the deity of Krishna, in his all playfulness, if you will, in his which is thought to be the fullest expression of Krishna, what what is making his his uh, driving his world of of uh, imagination, hmm? the dream world. You know, it's like you would like to just daydream what you might want to do, and it would happen. Mm-hmm. Something like that. This is the idea. And uh, so he's such a daydreamer, and and then the devotees are all like parts of the dream, and they're uh, either constituted of the heat and light in that example, or influenced by it. Uh, as sparks, and so he has. A, there's an inner world of the fire going on. Uh, let's look at another example for a moment. You take the sun, which is a fiery body as well. We think of the sun often, if at all, and we should think of it more often than we do, because we're very in, in, indebted to the sun. I mean, if it didn't rise tomorrow, it'd be a big um, problem, right? I don't think even the new president could fix that problem. <laughs> So, forgive me, but uh, if it didn't rise, it would be a big problem. We think of it when we do, however, often in relation to how it can help us to thrive, how it can, it can get us warm, it can, it can enliven our minds, it can uh, uh, assist substantially in the growth of vegetation, and so on and so forth. So, we see it in relation to ourselves. We often think of God, if at all, in relation to ourselves, how God can help us get a better job, get a better life, um, get away from something, get something, and so on and so forth. All that keeps us at some distance from the Godhead, right? Who obviously has no interest in, in, in those things, even while secondarily, kind of as a byproduct of the Son's existence, it makes our world go round in many respects. It has its own life. There are nuclear explosions going on in the sun. I mean, imagine if a nuclear explosion went off here, God forbid. Um, 
it would be a big deal, right? Well, there's there's explosions going on there all the time, hmm? and it doesn't blow the place up. I mean, it's an incredible body of luminary, uh, very mysterious. So um, what I'm talking about, what I want to say is, is that it has a life of its own. We think of it in terms of how it provides life for us. We don't think of it, hmm, does it have its own life? What's going on there? Hmm? So this is the idea of Krishna Leela. There's, a, there's, a, there's an inner realm of the Godhead where he's only playing. And, and prayers like this, this Dhammadarastakam, are meant to open the window to that. So it is a prayer about one frame if in the life, in the ongoing life of play of the Absolute. And it's referred to as the Dhammadar Leela. Dhamma means rope and Udara means belly. It's a rope belly Leela, whatever that means. So it, what it means is that, as we've heard, in this Leela, Krishna, the, the god of gods, if you will, the source of all the worlds and so forth, as is thought, is been, has been bound up by a devotee who is in, has parental love for him, Jashoda. And so it talks about the power of bhakti to People want to, if people if people want to get close to God, they want to get close to get things from Him. As I said, not a wise idea because we're not things, and things really won't improve our life. Um, or they want to get away from things which are temporary and live forever. If you get if you get rid of the temporariness in your life, the impermanence, which is everything around you, hmm, then there's a there's a Possibility that, that that you might experience the permanence that that we are we might experience the permanence that we're about that that causes us to have a built-in resistance to impermanence. We try to make things last, build them better, and so on and so forth. Understandably, the reason is because we 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 endure. We are not permanent. If we were impermanent, we wouldn't have resistance to the impermanence that surrounds us. So, if we get away from the impermanence, we can experience our permanence. So some people want to get things from the Godhead. Some people want to get a wiser people want to get away from the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. But um, but in Bhakti we, we want to get closer, even still. Um, and and that's what this Leela is, is an example of. So the one who can give whatever if you if you wanted it and can can and, and can take whatever away from you that you might want to get rid of and so forth, um, has a life of, of his own. And in, through bhakti we can, we can enter into it in such a substantial way that here, by the power of bhakti, this, uh, the Godhead has become like a, like a plaything in the hands of one of his devotees. This is just a basic kind of overview and much detail to the Leela and many interesting and significant philosophical points that we can apply in our lives and our practice and so forth have been brought out in the context of the discussion. So here he comes to the end, the final prayer. And he, first of all, he sums up a little bit and uh, then he goes on from there um, to an interesting kind of high point, if you will. Um, and um, he uh, and he does so in his prayer by um, now... Uh, Offering his respect to the presiding deity of the month of Damodar, hmm? um, 
which is the month in the Vaishnav calendar that precedes the month that Krishna in the Gita says, I'm identified with. He says, of months I am Margashirsha, which would be you know, the, the next uh, uh, lunar phase, the next month. Hmm? So the Vaishnav uh, kind of insight, of course, is that before Krishna comes Radha. There's no, there's no Krishna without Radha. Radha is the very embodiment of Seva. She is the Swaha. That that she 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 she's the whole the whole range of religious uh, possibilities, if you will, is 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 uh, um, under the influence of Radha, which is this Bhakti Devi, the, the goddess of of of, of Bhakti. So on the lower end, for example, as I say, that religious idea where we pray to God for things, hmm, not realizing that that uh, we can't can't keep them, or that they may frustrate us, and so on and so forth, and that we're not things, and the best things in life, as we say, are not things, and not aware of that. Like a child, we want give me this, give me that. So there are systems in all religious traditions, uh, or aspects of all religious traditions that are about asking for things from God. Hmm. And uh, in the, in Hinduism, it's it's you know it's it's the it's the build a fire and swaha, hmm. put things in swaha. This is Ag- the wife of Agni. Agni is the fire god. The wife of Agni is swaha. Hmm. So this is this is this is an example because if we go all the way to the to the uh, eighteen syllable Krishna mantra, the principal Krishna mantra, of course, it ends with swaha. And it is there understood to be the the the, uh, the uh, referring to the, the the goddess of of bhakti that uh, um, Radha is the embodiment of the full face of the swaha, if you will. This it means you put some something in the fire, you put a grain in the fire, and you give swaha and a little ghee, and you hope to get a whole field of corn <laughs> or a whole field of wheat, you know, the next 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 harvest, something like that. Hmm. So, um, life proceeds, I want to say, um, happily and uh, it progresses through acts of sacrifice. God is situated in acts of sacrifice. So, when we talk about Krishna, when we talk about Radha and her as the personification of Bhakti, we're talking about a realm, if you will, or an idea in which the full uh, face of sacrifice is, is manifest. Indeed, Sacrifice is not even the right word to use anymore in this case because sacrifice is, is something that's done consciously. I, sac- I, I acknowledge better not live, do, do not for myself, not, look not to the country for what it can do for me, but what can I can do for the country as a sacrificial kind of perspective where I'm giving something up consciously for a more noble idea. And the idea in that is that there's more to gain in the giving and being a giver than being a, a, a taker. But while there is uh, sacrifice that is thought out and dutiful and noble, when sacrifice reaches its full pitch, then the calculation involved in I should do this because it is it is a better and higher and more noble thing is lost. So, to give an example, sometimes a hero, in any particular situation where heroics are necessary, uh, jumps off the bridge, for example, into the river to save the the drowning 
uh, dog, right? Uh, uh, and gets on CNN, you know, for his heroism, and uh, and is asked, "What were you thinking?" And he just he said, I, well, "I wasn't thinking." And we we were on honor. He says, "I don't, you know, deserve any honor. I just it just happened. I just did it. I just, you know, identified." With the with the necessity, and I became part of it, and and in in the way that uh, brought about a, a solution. So there's a kind of a it's just a, a material example, but there, there there's a kind of a self forgetfulness, if you will, that transcends the calculated act of I'm going to do a sacrifice because it should be done. It's the right thing to done be do to, to do and so forth. And this, in a very basic sense, also distinguishes the general path of bhakti. From the path of 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 of, of rag bhakti, that this realm of Vrindavan is is um, is the goal of. So there's a there's a realm of bhakti where we do it because it should be done, because Narayan is worshipable, he should be worshipped, and Om Narayan, and this is the all uh, all inspiring reverential realm of 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 love of God. The Vrindavan idea it's peculiar again in this leela. Krishna's mother is tying him up. I mean, to people who worship God reverentially, hmm, just not because they want things or even because they want salvation, just because it's the right thing to do. Hmm? That's a high motive. We may be motivated by fear, but if I don't do this, something will happen to me. Or by some prospect, if I do this, I'm going to get that. But above that is I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. Even if it turns out that uh, it doesn't work out, apparently, for me, it's the right. It's virtuous. It's the right thing to do. I should do it. I will do it. Hmm. Um, so, for people in that realm, to see Narayan, if, if you will, although appearing two-handed as Krishna, he's still divine, tied up and being dealt with, not like with reverentially and so forth. It's very peculiar and very odd. But what it's about, of course, is that they have gone beyond this calculative, in a, in a positive sense. Um, 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 sacrifice and so much identified with the deity as the the human forms of fraternal, parental, and rom- romantic love can uh, enable us to identify with the object of our love. Hmm? It they can cause us to identify more deeply with the object of our love, almost than than reverential love can, which creates some distance. So. You know, typically, we love our our kids, we love our friends, we love our our wives and husbands, and 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 so forth. And um, and we go to church for an hour on Sunday, and we um, and then we this is more consuming, right? This is more consuming, and that's kind of a problem in relation to reverential love. But there's a realm of possibility, of spiritual possibility, where the object of our love, the deity, takes a shape that enables us. To express love with the same type of intensity and that and affords the same type of identification with the object of love that in our ordinary experience parental love does or um, as I say fraternal or romantic love does and you can just think about this as an example to help understand the point those of you who have children um, you know you just can't forget about them Right, <laughs> you're so much identified with them, and uh, and romantically the same case, and we have close friends and so forth, and 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 and, and there we just. We, I've given another example. If you walk down the street 
and you bump into somebody, if you, know, you say, oh, I'm sorry, or they say, excuse me, sorry. But if you bump into someone who you've extended yourself into by way of fraternal, parental, there they go, see, they're touching, uh, uh, romantic love, we don't see a difference between my body and, and their body. This is called pranai in, in, in Indian aesthetics, this kind of identification. So to have that kind of intensity of identification with the Godhead, that's what this song is about. And so it's depicting that possibility in a form of a, of, of a drama in which the Godhead is being tied up by his mother for misbehaving and, and doing all the kind of things that, that kids do that that endear them, um, you know, to their to, to their parents, even though that you know, it may be mischievous and troublesome on on on, on one level. Hmm? So very peculiar religious idea, and uh, and the method to the madness of of this, of course, is the is the kirtan that uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu brought to the world. Thakur Narutam Das said, "Golokeru Premodhan Harinam Sankirtan." From this realm, which is called Golok, which means like the realm of the cows, who are givers, um, and this this the wealth of that, this love, intense love, has been exported through the medium of the kirtan. And this kirtan, while it's a popular thing now in the yoga community and so forth, it's central to our practice, always has been and always will be. It is an anga or limb of the body, the angi of Vishnu Bhakti. Hmm? It's not a limb of the practice of Astanga Yoga. It's not a limb of the practice of Jnana Yoga or Karma Yoga. Hmm? Um, so this is a place to come to if you want to learn about kirtan, where, where Vishnu Bhakti is going on. And within that, Krishna Bhakti is particularly lends itself to kirtan. Therefore, this this is the medium through which that wealth of Vrindavan is being expressed and shared uh, uh, is the dissemination of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I mean, if you love someone romantically, then you, you sing about him in the shower and everywhere else, and all the songs and all the sounds are interpreted uh, to um, to mean what 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 she or he you know means to you, and so on and so forth. So. This, uh, these, these types of love that, as I'm speaking about it, transcend reverential love, as you can understand, lend themselves to the kirtan more, natural forms of kirtan, spontaneous kirtan. In Vishnu Bhakti, a reverential, reverential type, there is the kirtan of reciting the Purana, reciting the Veda. Hmm? I've had experience like this, of going to Vishnu temples and performing Namsan kirtan, and they look at you like, that's different. What kind of, what is that? And uh, finding they find it attractive, but they don't exactly know how to place it. So, it's a very uh, uh, this dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's, it's thought to be opening the the gates to a very private uh, realm within uh, transcendence. And uh, while you know we, we have our particular sect, and and we believe it's it's the best way to go because. We should, otherwise we, we, we should be somewhere else and doing what we think is best you know, somewhere else. But there is some objectivity to it in the religious world as far as what has been talked about. Hmm? So this idea, very idea of love and intimacy and the extent to which it's played out, it's a very, I think, beautiful contribution from the Godias to the religious uh, community uh, uh, cross-culturally to, uh, to consider. It was the, the aim of Thakur Bhakti Vinod 
to put Gaudiya Vaishnavism because of these kind of ideas on the stage of the world religions and let it, its, its um, particular um, preoccupation and where it kind of picks up and, and, and it is really um, uh, uh, unto itself, so to speak. Let that idea be, be shared about. So we are humbly trying to um, follow in his uh, in his footsteps, and so the here in the last prayer of the Dhammadarastakam, the the Muni, the Rishi who composes his offers his respects to the presiding deity of the month that this pastime is performed in. It's called the Dhammadar Lila, where Krishna gets Dhamma tied up by by his udara by his belly. It's a long story. We've talked about it. And so the, the month is named after the Leela, Damodar month. And the Damodar month is followed by the Margashirsha month, as I said, and that month in the Gita, Krishna says, I am identified with that month. So the Godis have reason, and wisely so. The month that precedes the Krishna month must be the Radha month, because in order to approach Krishna, you have to go through Radha, which means you have to, you can go, you have to go through Bhakti. Sometimes people ask, Swami, have you seen Krishna? And so one of the ways in which we reply is, I wasn't looking for him, but I was looking for service to Krishna, and there's a lot of that around. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So um, the point is that, that, again, the Absolute is situated in acts of sacrifice. Hmm? And serving Krishna and Krishna, there's no, you can't have one without the other. So you can't have Krishna, really, without Radha. She may not apparently be Present. Uh, where's Radha in the Swahav praying for, you know, a new horse, you know, through some sacrifice? But I've explained that a little bit, right? She is the primal Shakti of Krishna, and she, whatever form of divinity manifests, she is correspondingly manifesting with, as well, covering the whole whole range of the religious um, spectrum. And the basic idea again is, well. Uh, uh, if you love someone, then you serve them. Love of Krishna and Krishna are one and the same. You can't have the teacher without the student. There's no meaning to a teacher without students, no meaning to students without teacher. So there's a one and difference between Radha and Krishna or between Bhakti and Krishna. Krishna exists in love of Krishna. That's where to find him. Hmm? So he pays his uh, wants to pay his respect to the deity presiding over the month of uh, of Damodar, hmm? which is the month in which this pastime occurs and the month that we're celebrating. Hmm? And Rupa Goswami Prabhupada has, has a, at times in his writing, uh, referred to Radha uh, as... Urjeshwari. Urja means power. And here it means Shakti. Eshwari means like the goddess. The goddess of power. So all the powers, the Shaktis, even the smoke, the sparks, the heat and light. Radha is the principal Shakti. And Krishna is the principal Shakti Man. So you have energetic, you have a generator. And then you have the energy that it generates. It's hard to separate the two, but but they're one and they're different at the same time. So, 
So as Krishna is the primal generator of the worlds and, and whatnot, uh, realms of possibility, and Radha is the primal energy through which so many things are uh, accomplished. A person is a person, and a person has energy or power by which they do things, and if you know their powers, you really know them. You can say, you know, do you know so-and-so? Celebrity, you can go, yeah, you know. But if you know what they do, especially in their private life, by their energies and so forth, then you, you, you know them better than just a name, right? Hmm? Um, so by knowing the Shakti of Bhagawan, one knows Bhagawan. Hmm? And so Urjeshwari, it's a name for, uh, for Radha. Rupa Goswami has invoked this name, the goddess of power, if you will, the, 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 the goddess presiding over the Shakti, the primal, primal Shakti. In the, um, in the Purana, it's said about the month of Damodar that one should observe the uh, Urja Brata, the vow of, of in, in deference to the power, Urjadara, with, with regard for the power, hmm? with regard for the Shakti. Urja Brata, Brata means a vow um, in honor of the, the Shakti, in this case, of Bhagawan. Hmm? Urja Brata. Hmm? The Purana says, Padma Purana, what? Svalapamapi uh, Urukarakaha. The implication is, as Radha is generous, and we'll see that as we go forward here in, in, in the prayer, so the month representing her is very generous, and therefore a little service done in this month brings a great deal of remuneration. There are circumstances in which a little service can bring extraordinary amount of reciprocation. I've given the example before that if someone offers you water, you could say yes or no, I'll take it, maybe, maybe not, I'll drink a sip because you offered it. Or, But if you're in the desert and somebody offers you water, you could, you know, you say, you saved my life, and, and they get a lot of reciprocation. So this is, this is a time hmm, where this month is said, according to in the Vaishnava perspective, a little bit of service rendered, and especially in light of uh, in, 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 in deference to, to, to Radha, to the Shakti of Bhagawan, then great uh, uh, possibilities of uh, reciprocation. So a very special um, month that Radha presides over. It's also called Kartik. Hmm? And from the Gaudi perspective, the term, or the name Kartik, derives from Radharani's mother's name in the Leela she has a mother and the, it was a custom in the Braj to name the daughters the women, the girls after the daughters uh, of, of Daksha in the heavens hmm? after different nakshatras different stellar influences and so forth so I think uh, Kirtika sometimes also spelled Kirtida is the third daughter of Daksha and Radharani's mother, Vishabhanu's wife, is named Kirtika or Kirtida. And Kartiki or Kartika is then the daughter of hmm, Kirtika. So this is uh, another name for Radha and another name for the month. It, the month is named Damodar, but if we look at the meaning of the word Damodar, it means 
it's speaking about Krishna being bound up by the ropes of affection. So the emphasis is more on the ropes of affection and bhakti than on Bhagwan himself. Hmm? So appropriately, another name for the month is the Kartik Mas, or the month of Kartik, um, uh, in deference to the power of bhakti that Radha personifies. Observance of the Kartik Vrata is is an important thing in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's uh, it's mentioned in the uh, handbook, if you will, of bhakti, uh, entitled Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of Rupa Goswami, one of the founding acharyas of our lineage. Hmm? It's a tome. <laughs> the book is quite large uh, dissertation on the nature of bhakti, the nature of bhakti in practice, the nature of bhakti in ecstasy, the na- nature of bhakti in perfection of of of, of love. I mean, there is uh, amongst the sacred books, uh, there is there is no such book that has gone in such depth about the the nature of devotion, hmm? the nature of the subtle differences within 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 ecstasy and different uh, nuances of of love of God and so forth. It's a very extraordinary book. So the first, uh, uh, one of the sections is about bhakti that results in a reverential love of God. And in that section, there is mention of observance of the Kartik Brat hmm? and reference to the Padma Purana about the benefits that can, can come spiritually by uh, spending a little time in service in this month and so on and so forth. So one might think, well, this is for Vaidhi Bhakti. Hmm? Um, and we want the Bhakti in intimacy, so such observances may not be necessary. However, in Raghavart Machandrika of uh, Vishwana Chakrabhati Thakur, he has helped us to understand something about the, 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 the practice. It's kind of a funny word to use, but the practice of Raghunuga Bhakti, because Raghunuga Bhakti is talks about is about the kind of bhakti where again you're just so identified with the object of your love that you're just spontaneously moving according to his or her necessities as if they are your own. So how do you practice that? How do you practice love when your kids say before they've experienced it, "What's it like to fall in love?" I mean, what can you say? <laughs> you can't. I mean, what can you say? You can. You can say, well, it's like getting like drowned in a wave, but it's okay. I don't know, you know. <laughs> it's um, it's impossible uh, to to put into words, and this is just a material, you know, reflection, if you will, of real, of divi- of divine love. You gotta you gotta experience it, right, to to know. And then when you experience it, you can't explain it, but you know it, right? So. So, with the kind of love of God we're talking about, how can we practice it? How do you practice? <laughs> um, so there is a stage of practice where you kind of go through the motions, doing the things that we have seen historically others have done that are pleasing to the deity. Hmm? And so imitation of a good thing is a good thing, something like that. We find it, well, he likes this, we learn that, he likes that, and so on. So we adopt those things, even though we don't have real the feeling behind them with which they're done by those whom we're following, we're following them. And that's just an important part of Raganuga. Anuga means to follow. Hmm? It's all about Anugatya, about following those who spontaneously love Krishna. Hmm? And appropriately, 
appropriate to our circumstances, adopting those things into our life, either externally or when we become more qualified, internally in a meditative um, body, if you will. Hmm? So this is kind of the practice. We learn, oh, he likes, you know, this color, so we wear that color, something like that. So, uh, so with regard to this, uh, uh, in other words, I want to say that Raghunuga Bhakti, while it's about spontaneous love, and it's not about regulated practice in the same, that's governed by laws, you should do, and if this will, if you don't, this will happen, and if you do, this will happen, which is good or bad, respectively. Um, there are, there is some structure to it, is what I want to say. Nonetheless, there is some structure to it. And that's an important uh, point. Uh, there are those who, in the name of Rag Bhakti, give up all the structure and then they just imagine that they're having a, whatever, romantic relationship with Krishna and it becomes rather, rather unbecoming. Um, so there is some structure. And here's a basic structure given by Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur that the basic and central idea to the practice of Raghunuga Bhakti is to Svabhishta Bhavamayi, to be absorbed in the cherishing of uh, the ideal. So if you have an ideal to love Krishna as a friend, to love Krishna uh, uh, romantically, as Radha does, something to be involved in his romantic affairs. Hmm? Then this is central to the the practice of Rag Bhakti. The idea here is a very interesting idea. Hmm? It's an, it's kind of like to, to you to desire something that's beyond your your eligibility, but it's nonetheless it's being offered to you if you understand it properly. And so you have your ideal, and then you. Of course, have where you are and how you'll proceed from there. But cherishing this ideal is central. And why is it central and why is it powerful? It's because the ideal is the example of the the, the, the spontaneous uh, ragatmikas of, of, of Krishna Leela, those who are situated in the Leela, right? In parental love and, and romantic love and so forth. Hmm? And if you study the texts in our tradition, you'll see Krishna is saying things like, this is what really turns me on. People chant the Vedas, people do this, they do that for me. and It's like, you know, it's really not interested in me. Again, they're not interested in what's going on in the sun and the nuclear explosion. They're only interested in what the sun does for us down here. So if you have interest in that, naturally then he becomes, you, you want to, if you, if you, if I have, if I'm the man who has everything and you come to me and you want something, you know, I'm going to, okay, what do you want, you know, Somebody wrote me a letter. Okay, how much do they want? You know, it gets. It, it might give you something and create some distance. If you come and you want my power, my position, well, it's even more off-putting. But if you come just to serve me, like nobody does that. I got everything. Everybody wants something from me. Nobody's interested in what I might want. You know, and uh, and I'll give away everything and all my power, even to be with those kind of people, few as they may be. Hmm. Let there be another manifestation of myself that takes the power and does things with that. Another one. I'll just be myself with those people who are interested in what, what really... And I'm, what, am I, what am I interested in? In love. What kind of love? Well, all kinds of love. Hmm? You got another type? I'm ready to taste that. That's what. This is my interest only. Who's interested in that? Hmm? 
So a little interest in that goes a long way. Hmm? You're interested in that means you're interested in those who love him like that. And, you know, if you become interested in, if I, if I, if I find the dog, the lost dog of, a, you know, a, a person who I could never approach, a big uh, celebrity or something living in his uh, fortified mansion and so forth, I found his lost dog. Then he'd bring me in and and wants to know my name and what he could do for me. So if you if you love someone or help someone who's dear to someone who is otherwise unapproachable, it's an easy way to approach them to get their attention and so forth. So so to love the ideals of this type of devotion personified in the Leela and to cherish that um and appropriately kind of long for that while simultaneously applying oneself in the disciplines that are required to 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 transcend the taking tendency that the body mind complex imposes upon us we've identified with it it, it has the needs so we we're moving in the world in relation to it and so we have to take we have to exploit to one extent or another so we have to rise above that but this central idea is 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 very powerful part of the the culture of rag bhakti hmm? and so to cherish that i want to live in vrindavan with krishna in the vrindavan leela hmm? and it, of course it, it can become more should become more specific in time too but to cherish that ideal and then apply oneself here to do the things that you know that i see the sadhus in their practitioner bodies, they do. They chant. They they do other things. So this is called svabhishta bhavamai. To be uh, try to be absorbed in in ideal. To be centered on the ideal. Hmm? And then there are babasambandi, things that are in relation to that, that will help to foster that, like hearing, like chanting, hmm? and so forth. Then there are things that are um, that are bhavanukul. That are favorable to that culture of that ideal. Hmm? Things like wearing tilak, hmm? wearing these uh, these uh, uh, mala, hmm? and the tilak is, is we decorate the body in twelve places with the mantra, and, and bring the shakti of of, of, of Bhagawan, of Vishnu, and people don't know this, and therefore they think, yeah, it's all external. Krishna West, you know, we dress however we like and so forth. These things have special power, actually. And they're, therefore, they are mentioned by our charges, like in this case, Vishwanachakritakura's Bhavanukul, they should be done. Now, you may not be able to wear your tilak to work and so forth, but, but at least when you practice, sit and chant before the deity and so forth, hmm, these things have, there, there is a mystical and esoteric side to them, hmm, that, um, um, that should not be dismissed. Hmm? So, um, Baba Nukul, and then there is Baba Biruda, those practices that are not unfavorable. Hmm? They're a little less than favorable, they're not unfavorable, but they, they should be incorporated as well. Hmm? Worshipping sacred trees, cows, and things like this. Hmm? And then there's, of course, Bhaviruddha, those things that are unfavorable and they should be avoided. Hmm? Incidentally, amongst them, Vaishnav Seva, or serving the devotee, covers all four. 
not the unfavorable, but the others. It's it's, but with regard to the observance of the Kartik month, then this, Vishnu Chakravarti Tagore has listed this as Bhavasamandi, hmm? that which is in relation to mood, both directly and indirectly. So, its observance is is is, is very um, very important. Directly means that. In the Kartik Vrat, let's say indirect, there are things that we, we, there might be some observance of fasting on certain days and and the foregoing of certain things perhaps. You might make a vow and decide to sleep 15 minutes less a day and use that time for serving or something like that. So there's there's things that you might avoid or don't do, whatnot, forego, and then there are things that you embrace positively like hearing, chanting, um, offering more flowers to your deity or something like that. So indirectly and directly, this observance of the Kartik Vrat is um, in relation to and supportive of the um, central idea of relishing or cherishing one's ideal. And some of the things that we do in observance of the Kartik Vrat, like increasing hearing and chanting, they will in time become one with the ideal. There's a point in which the chanting, for example, become one with the ideal itself. We were talking a little bit about this the other day, when the, when the meditation and the kirtan are, are, are merged. And so, so, point is, I'm trying to be brief here so we can get to the question period, but it is that, that, that this is a powerful observance and it should be observed by all the Raganuga bhaktas as, as you have been. Um, so, uh, in this way, he, um, uh, the author here, uh, brings our attention now to the presiding deity of the month of Kartik, of the Dhamar month, who is Radha. He says, Namo Radhikaye. Now, he, he, he does this uh, first um, by way of kind of summarizing and he offers his respect to the rope that in the Leela has bound Krishna, to the belly of Krishna that has been bound. Hmm? And here he does it in a, in a slightly different way. Obviously the rope symbolizes Yashoda's um, bhakti and so forth. Hmm? But here he says that namastestu damne spurat dipti damne. He described this rope as brilliant and effulgent and and surrounding uh, the body of Krishna. So he, 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 he shifts to a kind of a majestic, majestic perspective for a moment, and he looks at the rope as like the effulgence of Krishna that is Brahman, that's everywhere surrounding him. And then he moves from there to pay, you know, to offer his respect to the belly of Krishna, which with the, with the idea that Everything is within his belly. The whole, all the worlds are within his belly, and and it has nice three folds. It's quite charming too, and um, and and then he comes from these more more external, majestic ideas. The whole world is inside the body of Krishna, uh, of God. We're living in the body of God. Uh, there's a there's a aura that surrounds him, and and deep 
within him is his world. He's 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 what he's really reflecting on here, as an aside almost is that Mother Yashoda she's tied Krishna up, and there are other leelas too where she looked in his mouth and complained when it was when it was Balaram complained Krishna has eaten dirt. Hmm? And mother said, "Why? What? What's going on? You eating dirt? No, no, I haven't eaten dirt. <laughs> Why would you eat dirt? We have such good <laughs> food here, and you're eating dirt. No, no, your your older brother said you ate dirt. No, that's a whole other thing now. How we, how that played out in the future, but um, in terms of their relationship. But she said, okay, if you haven't eaten dirt, then open your mouth, right? So he opened his mouth, and she looks inside, and what does she see inside? She sees the whole universe inside. And inside the universe, she sees Krishna, and she's herself looking in Krishna's mouth. Then she looks in there, and she sees another universe inside there. And so it's, she's, and she goes, "Hmm, what's happening here? Hmm. There must be some, some, some magic going on, or something. Because I'm just looking in my son's mouth, but." Of course, the, the philosophical implication of the, the Leela is that everything is just like the. I've given the example of the, 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 the Gaia kind of principle that the Lovelock, I think his name was, came up with. The world is an organism and we're like cells in it. So just taking it a little bit further, the reality is a person and we're just like part of that person who's complete without us at the same time. He's more than the parts, the sum of his parts, and, and so forth. It shifts our perspective. We're not like the center of everything. Hardly is the case. Hmm? So he's reminded of these other leelas hmm? and and describing the body, the rope, like this, and then he wants to go deep within the world, the inner world, if you will, of of Krishna's leela, that these that this effulgence and the the world order that the that he contains and so forth uh, come, comes out of, and he goes right to the goddess um, Bhakti Devi herself, Namo Radhikaya Todiya Priyaya. What he's done here is he started this poem by offering his respects to Jashoda, the mother of Krishna. He ends the poem by offering his respects to the mother of Bhakti, hmm? Bhakti Devi. He says here, Namo Radhikaya Todiya Priyaya. Todiya Priyaya means that I offer my respects to Radha, who cares, this is Sanatana Goswami Prabhu's comment, who cares for every single devotee, kind of motherly, every devotee is her concern. As I've said before, there's a little bit of Radha in every devotee. Her, what, the, the Shakti that she embodies, that the, the constitutes Bhakti, makes ingress into ourselves, and you can say there's a little bit of Radha in every devotee. So she is the compassionate nature of Krishna. She cares for every devotee, and so naturally he cares very much about her. Hmm? So from the mother of Krishna to the mother of Bhakti, hmm? and he says, Namo Nanta Lilaya Devaya, and to all these wonderful leelas, the implication here is of, of Radha and Krishna that are like the, the, the zenith of transcendental aesthetic rapture hmm? in the Braj, that the whole Brajli is moving around the romanticism of Radha and Krishna, even the, even the Vatsalya and the Sakya and the Dasya and so on and so forth. This is the, the hub around which it orbits and has wonderful, wonderful um, 
pastimes. Indeed, uh, Rupa Goswami uh, has, and I'll, 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 I'll try to conclude with this, uh, written uh, of uh, Elila taking place in the month of Damodar in which Krishna had a date to meet with Radha and he was late for the date. And so when he arrived there, she tied him up with a garland of flowers very successfully and it wasn't two inches too short, it was in this Leela. She didn't have any problem tying him whatsoever. And then challenged why you were late. What, what, you know, we, after such effort I made to come here with risk of being caught by the elders and so on and so forth. And then he explained that Mother Yasoda had held him back for other reasons. <laughs> and so, hearing that Mother Yasoda was involved, she deferred to her and quickly untied him. <laughs> and, and, and said, you are my Damodar. So, there is a place for the Damodar if you will, the tying, the means the tying of Krishna in the Madhuri Rasa also. And so he's reflecting on this here as he offers his respects to Radha, goddess of the month of Kartik. She Kartik Ratki Jai. She Radha Damodar Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. So I wanted to be a little brief. Any questions? Yes. I don't have a question. I just have a, a comment. I can't quote Shastra, but there's this description how it's, we have the term Radha Damodar. So how you gave the explanation of one way Radha bound Damodar and why we have Radha Damodar. And there's another story where um, Krishna and Radha were playing hide and seek, and Radha, everyone went scattering the gopis and Krishna, and Radha was seeking. So she knew that Krishna would think that she would be looking for the gopis first, so she decided to go seek him out first. And he was at the top of a hill, hiding behind a little bush. And so Radha just made a beeline straight up there, just chanting the Mahamantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And Krishna was like, he needs to move, but he couldn't move his feet because of Radha's binding him with the Mahamantra. So mm. she just kept going closer and closer. Krishna was like, I need to hide more, but he couldn't. He had to just stay right where he was. And Radha just went up and touched him on the shoulder. So he says, My respects to the unlimited Leelas. So this coming out of the hearts of the devotees, as we sit here, it's very beautiful. What else? Any other thought? What's the time? Almost ten to one. Oh, well, we didn't. Wasn't that short then? I guess <laughs> We're supposed to start at eleven. Yes. Um, well, I was wondering what your thoughts are on this. Um, someone sent me a link of a sannyasi who was getting. He was about to give a lecture, and some Indians were touching his feet, and he said. And I thought it was kind of cruel, it kind of made me feel bad for the Indians, but he said, don't touch my feet, I just want to make an announcement, I don't want anyone touching my feet because it's not allowed in Prabhupada's movement and I'm not willing to take any of my karma nor am I advanced enough to take it. And so, but I was just wondering, it kind of made me feel sad for the Indians and at the same time, though, we're going to programs and the Indians are touching our feet and they make their kids touch our feet, mm -hmm. so I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to... Wear thick socks. 
Well, this is a uh, very beautiful uh, way in the Hindu culture of showing uh, deference and, and respect to someone who uh, is uh, ideally who they feel um, respect for. Hmm? And um, I think that in the uh, Western countries there, there are ways to do that uh, as well. And while someone may be a little humble and and uh, try to avoid, to one extent or another, um, um, there's a place for uh, ac- accepting, uh, giving vent to the, you know those those types of feelings uh, that can can in in in, 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 in endear uh, you know people to one another, subordinates to whatever uh, teachers to, to students or something like that. So um, I think that. Um, that uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do what that fellow did at all. I wouldn't, wouldn't stop someone who, 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 whose culture it was to show respect in that way, and uh, who, and who felt uh, regard. I would, what I would do is I would accept that, and then I would be humbled by that, and to, to try to uh, live up to the regard that they are offering, and I think that that that, that kind of spirit. Um, uh, uh, the fellow's afraid that he's going to get intoxicated by people uh, showing regard in ways that look, I would say, odd from a Western point of view. It looks like, well, they're touching his feet. What the heck's going on here? You know. But you have to look at it culturally. It's just what India is like. We worship everything in India. You know, we worship the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, everybody, everything, dogs, cats, everybody's. You know, there's a place for the. The music teacher's a guru, this teacher's, every teacher's a guru, we worship the sun, it's a, just a worshipful culture, and that's a very beautiful thing, so, um, uh, you know, we hope this is not the end of multi- multiculturalism in America, but, um, <laughs> due to recent events, but uh, <laughs> we should, we should uh, try to see that that's not the, not the case, and, and, this is a beautiful, I mean, Indian culture is very, very beautiful at its heart, and this is an aspect of it. So I, would, I wouldn't think that, um, especially a teacher, as I think you're referring to someone who is in a teaching position, I wouldn't respond like that. I would, and be afraid that such regard offered, um, which they have anyway, otherwise why they're there, sitting there, coming to hear and listen now. If there's a way in which their culture that they express that, hmm, what's the point of stopping that? Why why sit there and, and and give the talk? Do you have some something to offer? And if you do, and people want to appreciate it, then you know if they say thank you, are you are you going to be? Is that going to be problematic for you? You know, in the Western culture, no, it's not. So, it's a way of expressing gratitude. And it's very it's very beautiful actually. Um, um, so the thought that, well, if you touch my feet, I'll get your karma. And, uh, I mean, you are there as a teacher to explain and give bhakti. And bhakti does take away karma. from That's what bhakti does. So you are an, an emissary in this kind of situation as you're describing. You're teaching bhakti. You're expressing bhakti, perhaps by leading a kirtan or something like that. And this act is of bhakti, such uh, acts of bhakti, srupa bhakti, is what has the power 
to uh, resolve karma of the participants. Hmm? So, if you're worried I'm going to get their karma, I mean, you're you're giving, you're you're providing a remedial measure to the whole karmic uh, predicament. So, I think it's it's not very well uh, thought out. And, um, and, uh, I think that, uh, it, those kind of gestures and, as I say, ways of, of reciprocating, showing respect and so forth, that they're honored, um, by the recipient of that, um, then it should serve to humble that person. I mean, if anybody says anything nice about me, it is embarrassing to me, and I am humbled by it, but I use that to then try to live up to the how people see me, hmm? and and I, so I find it helpful. I find it instructive, and uh, and and driving my my uh, my eternal uh, progress rather than something that will interrupt it. Hmm? So that's my answer on that. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking. What else? Um, yes. Go ahead. So yesterday, at one point, you mentioned that in order to experience, and I'm sorry, it's not exact quotes, but just something like. You know, I wanted to mention that you had said earlier. If you could forgive, let me forgive me for a moment, that we could head all day. You know, <laughs> right? That was a nice thing to say. I was visited a house of. Uh, I saw a couple and their family from South India last time I was here in Charlotte and they came, they invited us for lunch and I gave a talk and so forth and we spent a little time before the lunch and, and, and I gave some, answered some questions and spoke and we had lunch and then we got up to, to go and they said, well, we thought you were staying all day. And there's dinner, you know, tonight too, you know. <laughs> This is also Indian culture, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I appreciate that. I realize that I'm also expecting you to be doing a lot of talking, so I'm sorry. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. Conflicting feelings of, <laughs> of regard. <laughs> it's very beautiful. Um, anyway, sorry, go so, ahead. Thank you. Um, something about, like, to experience Krishna, of course, in that full face of devotion to Krishna, we have to cleanse the mirror of our consciousness, yeah. Yeah, of our consciousness, so that it's reflected and we see Krishna there. And then a little bit later you said that bhakti will come even to someone who's impure. Mm -hmm. And it seemed a little contradictory. Could you explain that? Yeah. I can explain that to you. So the question she's asking, of course, is there's is an idea or a statement that, 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 for example, the chanting of Krishna's name, it's a powerful spiritual trans, transrational practice. It's not unreasonable, but it's not a rational practice. And it's, 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 it's taken from the sacred texts and so forth and the example of lives of saints and so on. And they, and they say that there's power in the name and the power shows itself by way of cleansing what's called the chitta, which is like a subtle yogic uh, um, uh, component of psychic matter that's thought to be that uh, by which we reflect on things, by which we perceive things. And, and 
on that mirror, if you will, of the citta, then images come and impressions come, and the impressions cause us to act in ways kind of automatically. And and these material impressions, they're called samskars, so they're, they're the tendencies, right, over lifetimes stored in the citta, because when you reincarnate, the citta stays the same hmm? in terms of impressions and so forth. So while the, body, the gross body changes, the psychic matter continues until you end the cycle of reincarnation, which is about cleansing the citta of these material impressions that are driving the the our, our actions in relation to sense objects, our attachments, and so forth, right? So, so the idea is that chanting will cleanse the citta of these um, impressions. Hmm? It's, very, it's a very powerful process. Um, and at the same time, also, hmm, what was the first part? Um, by, by, when... when um, uh, it's something like this. If you if you hire a interior decorator, okay, then the first thing they're going to do is the interior decorator is going to come in, and and you're going to say, hey, you know, like, let's just imagine every. What are you going to do? Where are you going to put everything? And what kind of you know? What kind of drapes are we going to have? What kind of colors are we going to have? Quiet, don't talk about that. Uh, here's a broom. Get a mop over there. Um, now, start, pick up this, Take, throw this out, throw this out. I thought you were coming to decorate the interior. You're throwing things out. You're, uh, so there's a phase, an aspect of bhakti. What she does first is cleanse the chitta. Hmm? That's first. Then the decorating comes. After. So there's two aspects. So in sadhana bhakti, there's a lot of cleansing going on. In the higher stages of bhakti and practice, then a little decorating starts to happen. And then in bhava bhakti, then place is shining. It's decorating. And you're getting used to the new environment. And you like it quite a bit. And there's something like that. So bhakti goes into an impure heart, if you will, a heart full of material desires, that 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 enlightenment can't go in. They can't have enlightenment, gyan, and have the darkness of material attachment, which is ignorance. You can't have the two at the same time. You can't have ignorance and knowledge at the same time. But you could have bhakti and ignorance at the same time, hmm? because there's an aspect of bhakti that that knowledge doesn't have, hmm? which is which is clearing away the ignorance hmm? um, through these practices and so forth. Um, so even if the heart is contaminated, if you will want to use a term like that, with all types of material desire, bhakti will enter there. Gyan won't enter until it's cleansed, and there are practices for cleansing the heart, like nishkam karma yoga, for cleansing the heart. Then the wisdom of gyan will come in. Then one can live a com- contemplative life and so forth. You can't live a contemplative, contemplative life if you've got all kinds of desires because they're going to cause you to get up and disturb your contemplation. But bhakti has the power to go into the heart, cleanse it, and then expand further and, and, and decorate it. Does that help answer your question? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah and that's a tribute to its, its, its extraordinary power. 
So it doesn't discriminate. She doesn't. She'll go anywhere. Hmm? She can go anywhere. And there are examples of her going into the hearts of persons who weren't qualified for other types of spiritual or religious practices, hmm? and then qualifying them for something more than those spiritual practices perfectly practiced would afford one. Hmm? You follow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's via the person who already is a bhakta. Well, we get bhakti from bhaktas, yeah, from devotees. That's where bhakti comes. Bhakti is a gift, hmm? so it's not like part of our constitution. It's not a right, it's a gift. So by good association, there's a current of karma in the world, there's a current of bhakti in the world. If you come in touch with the current of bhakti, and bhaktas are always trying to circulate that current and share it with people, then uh, if bhakti comes into our heart, and it, then, it, then it, you know, it, it acts appropriately, first for cleansing, then for decorating. Yeah, through good association. That is the, the, the seed for for rati for the decoration for bhava for ecstasy is sadhusanga association with saintly person this is the this is the, the the janma the birth of bhakti the mool the root of bhakti bhakti uh, goes where she wants she's krishna's internal power we are the marginal power so there's a difference between the two but but we can be blessed with bhakti and then then we have power to do to realize our fullest potential. Let's say you have a potential to love. Well, you need somebody worth loving. Hmm? Bhakti is, it makes that arrangement to connect us. Hmm? She ties the knot there. Hmm? She gives the ring. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, I kind of walked in at the end of this. This is the last few days, and maybe you've already said I got a couple of questions. Who is Satyavrata Muni, who wrote Dhammadarastika? And then you've been saying a lot of things that are wonderful. I hope I don't embarrass you. And really good. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering where that comes from. Did some? I, I think you mentioned somebody writing a commentary on, on those prayers. Mm-hmm. Satyavrata Muni is... Um, um, a rishi, a muni, a sage, whose prayer is found in the, the Dhammadarasakam is found in the Padma Purana. I have never studied the Padma Purana. I don't know if it has any, it includes any history about the rishi. So, um, it's, it's likely that there's not any history about him given there. Um, but, but there is a big history at least in the sense that a powerful prayer of his has been preserved and incorporated into the Purana to make a point. So otherwise, um, I don't know who his father, mother, or guru is or whatnot, but the Padma Purana itself is a book that's very central to the Ramanuja Sampradaya. Hmm? So, um, and it, of course, it predates the formation of the modern Ramanuja Sampradaya as well, Obviously, but uh, um, um, that's as much as I know about uh, such a Bhattamuni and its and the prayer as it's found in the in the in the Padma Purana. Sanatana Goswami, in writing 
the Smriti for Gaudiya Vaishnavas drew with Gopal Bhatta Goswami from all different Puranas and texts and so forth and constructed a kind of architecture, if you will, for our our lineage. Hmm? And so he found this piece there in the Padma Purana in the section glorifying the month of Kartik, which is important to us in the ways in which we've been discussing and so forth. And really, in his book, the Hari Bhakti Vilas, there's a section, Kartik Mahatmya, glorifying Kartik for the reasons I've mentioned. This is the central piece to it, really. This prayer is the central piece. Because many of the other statements that he's collected, they are not speaking of, or they're not examples of the the kind of devotion that this prayer uh, talks about that is in many ways central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism being a form of rag bhakti and the Vrindavan Leela and so forth. So it's, it's really the central piece of the Kartik Mahatma section of Hari Bhakti Vilas. Hmm? Um, but the Satyavrata Muni, he doesn't give any history on him there. Um, and so an ancient, reliable person, as it's thought. Um, and the other question was, where did I get? Oh, right. Um, well, that's a that's a interesting question, uh, and I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, Sanatana Goswami wrote a commentary on uh, the Dhammadarastakam. It's rather terse and brief. Hmm? Um, uh, Jiva Goswami or Prabodhananda or somebody—it's it's not clear—wrote a commentary on. Um, uh, Gopal Tapani Upanishad. Mm. There are similar commentaries attributed to different persons and so forth. I wrote a commentary on um, uh, Gopal Tapani Upanishad, drawing from, and I, did, I attributed it to Prabodhananda Saraswati. I drew from that. It was very, very terse also, and, uh, and um, these kind of commentaries need, you know, explanation, expansions, and so forth. So a god-brother of mine, whom you know, named Giriraj Maharaj, he called me up once and he said, you know, I read that Gopal Tapani of yours. And he said, in the first, as I read it, I was wondering, like, which part is, what part is promoted? And then the what he said, and what part is Tripurari Maharaj said? And I started to read it like that. And he said, but after a while, it was just so blissful, I didn't, it didn't matter to me. So um, <laughs> uh, that was a nice compliment. Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, you know, how what I'm like, I'm like, you can say a couple words to me in a commentary and I can like, it can make me think in different ways and, and so forth. So I, I'm blessed in that way to be able to expand upon things and, uh, and uh, so it's uh, some kind of combination like that. Uh, uh, the commentary itself is short. I think a good book, yeah, well, that's, that's a good, it's a good thought, I appreciate that. All right, anything else? I think it's a little late now. We should probably honor the Giriraj's Prashadam as a really beautiful way to culminate the Kartik month. Giriraj Maharaj ki jai, Radhadamadar ki jai, Goi Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Gaur Premananda ki jai.